We're reading tonight from the New Testament again, from the Gospels. Uh, I find it interesting that now, in this mission particularly, that the Gospel message and, and the Gospel stories has been coming to me with such regularity. I do preach from all parts of the Bible. I particularly love the Old Testament, but we're in the New Testament in Mark's Gospel tonight in chapter 12. Nice, easy book to find if you're not acquainted with the Bible uh, too well. It's the second book in the New Testament, Mark chapter 12, and commencing to read at verse 28. I always find that the personal encounters that Jesus Christ had with people uh, are of significance and of very great interest and uh, has always interested me, not so much when he's speaking to crowds, but when he's speaking to individuals. And I'm always aware that wherever we are, whether our crowds are big or small, I see people as individuals. When I speak on the radio or on the internet, I can realize that there are many people everywhere, but I see people as individuals. It's a one-on-one message. And this is tonight a one-to-one message. Though you are a congregation, I see you as a congregation. He sees us as individuals. So here we are with a one-to-one encounter in Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that Jesus Christ had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly or wisely, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. Amen. And may God bless his word to our hearts. There are many aspects of that brief reading that I could spend some time on. How much and how perfectly Jesus Christ knew the law. And how perfectly he knew that the law of divine love supersedes the moral law of Exodus chapter 20. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything. 
Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and mother. And so it goes on. All our obligations to God by the law and its standard and all our obligations to humanity around us again set down in the law of God, the Decalogue. But when Jesus came, he said, I have a law that I want to put in your hearts that will supersede the law of Moses so that whenever we fall in love with Jesus and love him with all the heart and all the soul and all the mind and all the strength, then we will have no other God but him. Then we will not bow down to any image. Then we will not take his name in vain. Then we will not break his day. Then we will not steal. Then we will not commit adultery. Then we will not lie. Then we will not covet. Why? Because Jesus rules and reigns in our lives. And we live out the life of the living Christ within us as the people of God. You know, it seemed quite audacious that this man should ask Jesus to explain the law. And of course he did, as he spelt out the truths. This young man who was listening said, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. And obviously he too was well versed in the things of God and in the standard of God and in the law of God. And he too knew that the moral law set down by Moses had now been superseded by a new law, the law of divine love in the heart. And you know, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes into our lives, it's not just a standard that is in our minds. It's a throbbing standard in our hearts. And we fall in love with Jesus so that we can say, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I went the other day to a home to visit. Lovely couple who have prayed for us down through the years. Didn't know that he was praying for us. He said to me after we'd met some 20 years, he spoke to me and he said, You know, Eric, I pray for you every day. And you know, I was overcome with emotion to think that someone whom I hadn't seen for way many years, that he was praying for us every single day. And I believe he has done that today. We saw them last year. We hadn't seen them since that. So we thought the other day, let's pop over and see our friends near Portadown. When I got to the door, his sister came to the door and she said, have you heard about naming his wife? Her brother's wife, I said, no. Why? Well, you know, she says, we're waiting on her. She's at the end of life. And within this past year, a brain tumor has taken over. And now she's near to that song that we're singing, sweeping through the gates of the new Jerusalem. And so, my dear people, the love of Jesus in our hearts can sing, when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus tis now. And for her, our dear sister in the Lord, if she's still here tonight, I don't know if she's still here, but we can sing in mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with the glittering crown on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus tis now. My Friends, isn't it worth living for that?
Isn't it, Trevor? Yes, my brother. It is worth living for this to administer bliss, said Charles Wesley, and salvation in Jesus' name. And here we are as a little part of a family tonight, the Stuart family, who love to serve Jesus, who are longing to win souls to the Savior. And over 50 years now for me and Yvonne, we have been serving the Lord and bringing people to the Savior, young and old and boys and girls, and for Wesley and his wife as well, putting their whole heart into the ministry and work of God and their two daughters now as well, involved in reaching people for Jesus Christ. This is our lives, my friends. This gives us something to live for. And as he responded to the Savior and said what Jesus had already said and repeated it back, I come to realize that here is a man who is versed in the Word of God. But he's not in the kingdom. He's not saved. You may be versed in the Scriptures, but you are not saved. You may be aware of the law of God, You may have the standard in your conscience and consciousness because through Sunday school and youth days and whatever, you have come to realize that there is a Bible and a book and a message in it and somehow or other you have learned it like I did. But I'd never embraced the Savior of whom I had learned until that day that I told you about in the previous meetings when as a teenager I came to Jesus Christ. Not old and stiff and feeble, but young, strong and free to be the best that I could be. For righteousness and truth in thee, O Lamb of God, I come. And the Lord Jesus leaned over, I think I see him, and said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. What a momentous moment that was. Momentous moments are rare. Our Emma speaks about, in terminology of the academic, high arousal moments. And that is a high arousal moment when the eternal Son of God stands before an individual who is acquainted with spiritual things and says, you are near the kingdom. Am I speaking to someone now? And that's you. You are not far from the kingdom. You're on the threshold. You're on what I've called in my message tonight, the borderline of salvation. How significant that is. Now in the meeting tonight, I'm quite aware that many of you know and love the Lord Jesus and you have come to him. But as we reflect on it, and as someone in the meeting tonight may be able to reflect right now, even though you are still outside the kingdom, God prepared our hearts worked on our consciences, worked on our minds, worked in our spirit to bring to us an awareness of our uncleanness before Him, of how we had broken His law, 
of how we had disobeyed his voice. Yes, indeed. And for some of us, how we had rebelled and rejected him and turned against him and grieved him and brought down the inky black clouds of condemnation on our hearts. Oh, my dear people, I think of a man tonight who's serving the Lord in the Shetland Islands. I'm thinking of Maynard. And when he used to come to our meetings in Port Rush in the little hall, and one night after the Sunday night meeting, there were people who had waited behind, and I came out from the hall after counseling them. It was about 11 o'clock, and I saw this shadowy figure coming up from the beachside at Port Rush in the East Strand car park. And what had happened was he had left the meeting that night. He had had a Songs of Victory hymn book in his hand, and this wasn't the first time, but he had it screwed almost into a knot. And the perspiration used to come on his, on his forehead, and he was so demented with conviction of sin. And that night, whilst I was counseling other people and pointing them to Jesus Christ, he had left and walked away along the strand. And he was coming back up at the, about 11 o'clock, if I remember now. And I said, hey, Maynard, why are you here? To cut the story short, he came straight round to our house. And before one o'clock that morning, knelt down beside the couch in our living room and gave his heart to the Lord Jesus, broke through to the Savior, and I still see him leaving and going down the little avenue in our house there in Hopefield Avenue, and there was a skip in his step, and he never looked back, and God has taken him into the service of the Lord. Oh, my friends, he was near the kingdom. Conviction was real. And we can look back and we remember it. We remember it. We remember when we left meetings. We remember after the speaker had spoken. We remember how he trembled. I remember it very, very clearly. Even as a boy of 13 years of age in a mission near Nestle's factory at Oma when Mr. Frank Marshall, now gone to be with the Lord, was preaching. And I used to shake as a young man as God's servant would speak. I shook. Why? Because I had a little sister, three and a half years of age, went home to be with the Lord Jesus in 1958. And Mr. Marshall came with a gospel mission, and I knew because I'd slipped up into the bedroom where she had died when I was away bringing in the milking herd. And my mother was milking in the byre with my father, and everything seemed to be very quiet, and I thought, I better go in and see about Sylvia. And I slipped out of the byre and slipped up into the room. And I was, away, I say, about 13 years of age. And there was little Sylvia. She had passed on and gone home to be with Jesus whilst I was away to the fields for the cows. And God put a stamp on my heart. God put his conviction in my spirit. And I knew I knew that I needed to get right with God. But I fought it off. I fought it off. I loved football. I was in the school team. 
and more. And the devil said, what about your friends? And he won. But I'm mercifully mercifully preserved. Three years later, in the providence of God, when the Spirit of God came again, drawing me, working on me, I thought, I'm not going to let it slip this time. I'm not going to pass up on it this time. Am I speaking to someone tonight? My heart beats for you. I may not be your age. I may not even be in your age group. And sometimes I think and I feel a disadvantage as an old man with white hair now in the mid-70s that I'm far removed from the rising generation. But it's not in me, my friends. God has told me different times in this mission, not by might, Eric, not by power, by my spirit. You could be as old as Moses and still reach a teenager. I'd love to reach you tonight for a teenager, for a young man, for a boy or a girl, for Jesus. Oh, that your life might be saved. And if I was to die and the torch fall out of my hand, could you be the person that might pick it up and become the next generation evangelist? Who knows? Who knows? And my challenge is real, and my call is real, and my invitation is real. God is speaking into your heart the significance of being near the kingdom. What a powerful, significant phrase that was as Jesus looked into his heart and knew that here was a man who was tapping on the very doorway of salvation. Is that you? I was saved on a Saturday night. On the Tuesday or Wednesday night of that week, traveling home out into the country in the darkness of the night, in the early month of March, end of February, my mother said, Eric, don't you think it's time you were getting saved? I didn't say anything because teenagers don't like their daddies and mommies to know what they're thinking. Maybe she had a sixth sense that God was speaking to my heart. But if she could only have known how much it was in my mind, how much I was weighing the issue, how much I was counting the cost, And how much deep down inside I wanted to settle the business. Thank God the week did not expire without the issue being settled. And settled on God's side. How significant. Are you there tonight? There's nothing that is new to you. I can't say anything to you that's fresh. There's no tenet of the gospel, your sinfulness, what Jesus suffered to save you, the price he paid, the agony he bore. See, you know, Pastor Eric, I know about it. There's nothing I can tell you new. You know.
you are very blessed to be well acquainted with these things. Because that's the precious platform on which the Holy Spirit of God is going to bring you through and over the line. How near to the kingdom. How near. Thou art not far from the kingdom. How solemn. The story is told, and you might have heard it, of a man who was on a ship deck, and he had a very precious jewel in his hand. You know, some time ago there, not long ago, I was in a big barn with a friend of ours, and he restores some cars, and he's got a full works rally, Ford Escort RS2000. He's got a Mini Cooper S, a works Cooper S. He said, oh, that was my era, all right. A works Cooper S. Absolutely spotless. Beautiful. What a wonderful, lovely machine. He said, you know, I sold everything to buy that. And I thought, there was a man in the Bible who sold everything he had to gain the pearl of great price. Are you prepared to give up everything that you think and love and desire and want to possess to get the pearl of great price, Jesus Christ? Mind you, I wouldn't mind having the Cooper S. Maybe I'll get a run in it someday. But I wouldn't trade the Cooper S for the pearl of great price. The Lord Jesus. And as the man tossed the jewel in his hand and threw it up into the air and watched as the facet sparkled as it fell, a man said to him, that's a beautiful jewel you have. Where did you get it? Oh, he said, I sold everything I had to procure the jewel. Don't you think it's a foolish thing doing what you're doing? Oh, no, said the man. Look how it sparkles. And with that, the ship lurched. And the jewel was just beyond his reach and went into the ocean. And he let out a cry. Lost. Lost. Now I think I see you saying, you know, Eric, that's just a story. But it's the story of your life. That's your story. Because the precious jewel is your immortal soul. Worth more than world's mind and unmind. And what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? When a young Sam workman was sprinting across the car park in Ballymena, 
coming from the poker school in the dance hall. A man spoke, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Like an arrow from heaven, it struck the young Sam workman. Brought him to the cross of Jesus. His immortal soul handed over into the security of God's salvation. And goodbye poker school. Goodbye dancing classes and dance hall. Welcome Jesus. And Sam Workman became one of Northern Ireland's leading evangelists who led a great number to Jesus. And we knew him and Ina very, very well indeed. In actual fact, one day I got out of the car and there was a lady at some distance and she said, Hey, hello, Mr. Workman. <laughs> I just said, Hey, nice to see you. Didn't put her off her notion. But I could never hold a candle to Sam Workman. But I'm serving the same Savior. And I came to the, the same solemn awareness. If I lose my soul, I have lost it forever. And nothing can regain what I have lost. Would you want to lose the jewel? of your immortal soul in a Christless hell forever? Because God says, if we're not in the kingdom, but outside the kingdom, and die in that condition, we are forever lost. And the Lord Jesus has lifted a cross between you and that yawning pit to stop you on your headless your headlong drive, your headlong and headstrong thrust to that eternal abode. He has lifted a cross to stop you. Would you not fall at the foot of the cross tonight? Would you not kneel at the cross? Christ will meet you there. Come while he calls for you. List to his voice. Heed now his call. Come while he waits for you. Kneel at the cross. Leave every care. Kneel at the cross. Jesus will meet you there. Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. How significant. How solemn to be within a step of salvation and miss it. But finally, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. How sacred. How sacred. Only a step to Jesus. Why not take it now? Only a step, only a step before his cross to bow. Only a step to Jesus. 
Come in thy sin confessing. Thou shalt receive salvation's blessing. Come. How sacred. This man, there is no record of what he did. There was another man, two chapters earlier, who turned and walked away, sorrowful. It doesn't say that about this man. I don't know what his response was. But I know another man to whom God spoke this same word. It was about five o'clock in the morning on the 24th of May, 1738. That evening, at about a quarter to nine, it's just sitting on nine o'clock now, on this evening of October 2021, But on that evening, the 24th of May, sitting in a smallish meeting, the Holy Spirit brought him into the kingdom. Who was he? John Wesley, the founder, along with Charles, of the great Methodist revival movement that swept England and with others saw multitudes brought into the kingdom of God so near to the kingdom, but yet outside the gate. Oh, shall your soul through doubting forever be too late? So near to the kingdom, why hesitate? So near to the kingdom, why longer wait? Oh, enter before it is forever too late so near to the kingdom, so near. You know, the Lord Jesus didn't take him by the hand or the arm and force him into the kingdom. He didn't plead with him. He didn't argue with him. He simply told him where he was But of course, in the telling of him where he was, the man got the message as to where Jesus wanted him to be in the kingdom. And in the telling of where you are, there is the inference of where I want you to be. I want you in the kingdom. I want you In Christ, I want you saved. I want you forgiven. I want you accepted. I want you transformed. I want you to leave the church with the assurance, my soul is safe in Jesus. I'm saved. walk out through the main doors. I'm looking out there into the car park now. I see the vehicles and I can see you and I want to see you walk across there this night. 
in Christ, in the kingdom, through the gateway, through the doorway, saved, saved. Will you, will you trust him? Will you come this night as an invitation is given? I close with these words. There was a lady we were talking to some not long ago. And she said, you know, I went to the meeting. And I really wanted to be saved. And I was really waiting for the invitation to come. But the preacher gave no invitation. And because he gave no invitation, she left under the supposition that she could not be saved because there was no invitation. She was bitterly disappointed. But she came back the next night, fully intending that if the invitation would be given, she would make it good and make it right. And it was. And with no hesitation, she stepped right out to follow Jesus Christ. I am not going to allow the opportunity to go by without giving you the invitation. For you may just have come expecting me to invite you to come to the Savior tonight. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to invite you as we sing our closing hymn in a moment now or two to leave your seat where you are. If you're small and young and you're afraid, bring daddy or mommy with you. If you're a person tonight who's stranger to these meetings, you're not sure, bring someone with you. Maybe the person who brought you. And come as we sing. When I say that, I mean leave the pew. Move out into the aisle. Don't look back. Look forward. Walk physically down. Pastor Bertie's going to open the door. There's a room here where the prayer meeting was. And others have gone through there in the meetings and services in this year, in the lifeboat. And you can be another one. And walk in. And he will be there, be at this door. If you're a lady, some lady will come and pray with you and point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I'm going to say. Now we're going to sing our hymn. The same one as last night. Almost Persuaded, number 322. 322. Almost Persuaded, now to believe. Almost Persuaded, Jesus Christ to believe. Seems now some soul to say, Go, Spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on thee I'll call. Yes, that's possible. You may make that choice. But Preferably, I want you to do what the next verse says. Come, come, 
today, now, seven minutes past nine. We're not going to prolong the meeting. We're going to get it through. Let the little ones go home. Get ready for school tomorrow again. Three, two, two, standing to sing.